if you never use Ansible, you will not need to care about troubleshooting why your playbook doesn't work with the newest Ansible release. This is episode 10 of Network Automation Hangout audio chat about network automation with the community. I'm your host, Dmitry Figel, and I am proud that I maintain zero Ansible playbooks. That was a good joke. <laughs> um, I'm John. My Twitter and my LinkedIn and all that stuff, my YouTube is IPv0. I don't have any jokes. This is, that's Dimitri's domain, so... Over a year, D-Bot. Yeah, like every week I have to prepare something so that you are made comfortable. I first start with general joke and then I can joke about you. So it makes total sense. <laughs> Sounds good, man. The first question I have to you before we proceed is how many Ansible playbooks do you maintain? I maintain right now roughly about zero Ansible playbooks. I'm guessing it's probably similar to what you have now. How many Ansible playbooks are you maintaining, Dimitri? Zero. Absolutely zero. I would prefer if the number was negative, but unfortunately I cannot do that. That's not how math works. <laughs> no, I still do lab up Ansible. I know this is you're melting in your seat right now hearing this, but I don't mind it. I really don't. I think it's pretty decent for just starting off and stuff. Obviously, there are limitations with it, but I do lab it up, but I don't really bother saving anything. It's almost like a, I just keep myself fresh with it, so I'll randomly maybe Google about and find out what the latest modules are, mess so about I... with it, break my network, and that's, okay. that's really it. So I see that you're trying not to say anything controversial about Ansible so that you can still make people watch your videos and buy your course. Yep. Isn't it correct? That's that's the plan. I mean, I've got to, I've got to try to... To sell the idea that I'm a, an Ansible shell, Dimitri, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, you've caught me. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. You will get yeah. no sympathy from me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, John, tell us how your week has been. Yeah, it's been good, man. Um, it's so strange here because Scotland's actually had, like, sunny weather. Like, outside just now, it's like 27 degrees, which is, that's like unheard of here. And it's been that way for the past week. So I've been going out and doing a lot of walks and stuff and... Um, just getting away from IT, which is really good. But aside from that, I've been doing more CBT Nugget stuff. I'm working on an introductory Python course, which really covers the bare bones basics of the fundamentals, like the different data types, loops, conditional statements, all that type of stuff. Pretty fun to actually to go through all that because, again, I don't know, I always enjoy doing introductory stuff. There's a lot of satisfaction because you tend to be finding you're helping a lot of people and you do get a lot of feedback. Because the more specialized you get, the less audience you have. So as you start getting into maybe GNMI and stuff like that, you're just getting a smaller and smaller audience. Now, whilst that is kind of intellectually stimulating and enjoyable to do, you really don't get the kind of return in terms of people coming back and saying, like, oh, this helped here and whatnot, or people want help. But basically, if you put an introductory topic out, you get much more interest. So that type of thing is kind of cool. So I'm working on that just now. CBT Nuggets are planning to release, or rather planning to record the SP Core content pretty soon. That's probably in the next few months. I've got the automation and assurance section, I think that's what it's called. It's basically the last section. So it'll deal on things like NSO, Yang, and my favorite, I need to go through Puppet and Chef and all that stuff again, explain that, which I just, that drives me bonkers that we have to do this. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> you have my so thoughts and is, prayers. Yeah, well, I'll need them, man. Um, so that, again, so it's Ansible, Salt Stack, Chef and Puppet, whereas I would rather it be like Norny or Scrapple type stuff. I feel like that's more relevant. So I need to deal with that. And But there's some cool topics. There's like GRPC stuff, telemetry, and 
verify and compare and configure netcon from restcon so quite a lot of stuff to dig into a lot of stuff i've actually dealt with before but obviously you try to put a little bit of twist on it because it's an sp exam topic effectively i would be looking to look at more things if i'm looking at yang models it would make more sense to look at xr since xr is more of a service provider device so that's the kind of slant you do with it so i've got that to plan and deal with so that'll be coming up pretty soon but i haven't start, started recording for that yet so what are you working with on sp core Knox is doing some subjects on it. I can't remember the topics he's got. And one of our newer trainers, Dave Smith, is doing most of the, the routing stuff. Dave's like a, a really technically advanced trainer. He's just new. He actually used to work with INE, actually. Um, but he's now over with us doing a lot of the BGP, ISIS type stuff. But he really knows his stuff. So I think it'll be a really good course. So I'm looking forward to working with him and with Knox, obviously. So it should be good. It should be fun. What about you? What's happening with you? Doing some work, uh, some actually I'm trying to deploy Netbox in Amazon. So that has been pretty fun. And I've been learning a lot of about Amazon pricing and different offerings that they have, like, especially on the database front, I'm so confused that like you mm. have so many options. It's like, oh, you can use RDS or you can use Aurora. You can use Aurora serverless. Now they have Aurora serverless too, I'm like, why is there so much choice? It's just so so hard yeah, to, yeah. Se to select something. And that's only one piece of it. It's like, besides database, uh, I'm still kind of debating if I want to try running it in Lambda or like some other way. It's like, it's a lot of pain, but I hope I will figure it out. I have some code that imports the data from the different place and puts it there. And also speaking about Netbox, uh, have you heard that Netbox 3.0 is right around the corner? I didn't remember the actual revision, but I saw Jeremy posted a picture of the new GUI, like the new web interface, and it looks brilliant. I don't know if you've seen that. Have, did you see the picture he posted? Yeah, it looks very fresh. I've been... Yeah, it looks nice and sleek. Yeah, I'm actually trying, while I'm trying to deploy all this stuff in Amazon, I'm actually trying to do it with the branch that contains 3.0, but I also mm. heard that the beta should be out. So 3.0 beta should be out either this week or next week. So that's pretty, pretty interesting. Looking forward to that. I think we could cover like a couple of features that might be there. And for those of you who don't know first what Netbox is, first we had an episode, I think it was the second episode with Jeremy. Netbox is IPAM, DCM kind of system where you can store the data about your network devices and prefixes and a lot of other stuff related to, to this. And then you can use their API to do some, some cool stuff with it. So in 3.0, there are like a bunch of stuff, but I think the most significant ones that they remove secrets from Netbox and it's now a plugin. There is GraphQL, new UI. There is, I think, custom field validation and a way to get the REST API tokens via like username, password. So yeah, a lot of interesting stuff, but UI is definitely something <laughs> most visible one. And it's like, you look at it, oh, it's like, completely different than it was before. So yeah, yeah, looking forward to that. Do you know what the logic was behind the choice as to why they removed secrets? I don't remember Jeremy saying, explaining that. I think, and I could be wrong here, but if I remember correctly, the reason was that no one really used that. And it's a little okay. bit weirder that like you have, well, you, you create public private keeper 
and then you use the key to like interact with netbox and get some of those secrets. I have been using it actually for, I don't remember, I think on one of the streams and I think in the warden and it, it felt a little bit weird. So I am actually <laughs> happy, I guess that it's gone. And <laughs> so what this kind of means is that, well, just think about like other ways to deal with secrets and there are very good established ways to deal with secrets uh, for applications in general. So I think, I think this should be fine. Tell me mm. this, John, since our episode two, have you actually deployed Netbox for something? When I first recorded my network automation course for CBT Nuggets, when I first started that, it happened during the creation of Nornier 2. And then I had to do different certification courses like the DevCore course and the ENSLD. They take precedence and priority because they're cert courses. So I kind of had to leave that course aside and then come back to it. Now, by the time I came back to it, it was all kind of Nornier 3. So for the longest time, I had a split and the versions of my course so the early parts were Nornier 2 and I had to kind of go back and pretty much warn people by the way install Nornier 2.5 don't install Nornier 3 for these early skills and it became a bit of a nightmare so I went back pretty recently and I re-recorded all those early skills and one of those skills that was used in the Nornier Netbox inventory so I did a, a little bit with that I'm using Nornier Netbox inventory 2 I think it was called I need to double check that but yeah, it was a small, a small little project, but it was super fun and super cool. Um, Netbox is great, and the Nornia plugin just works so easily. So it's been, it's been cool. What about you? Is this your first real exposure or deployment of Netbox? Because I remember you were saying you had pretty limited exposure to actually using it in the field. Well, I, I had for some of these like streams and some of the stuff, but it's like, I mean, it is real, but like you know, it's not production really. It's kind of like, oh, I would be just playing. But yeah, right now I have, a, I think I have a need. And so we have like some data about our inventory of devices in some other system and we want proper DNS integration. So uh, some of the data for the DNS entries comes from that system. Like there are like a bunch of IP addresses and we need to have the host names and like FKTNs on DNS servers for those devices. But also there were some entries were coming from completely different input and like people like, oh, I need a virtual machine here uh, with some IP address. So like people were logging into like some different system. It was, and it is extremely old where it works really weird. So I was thinking, oh, maybe it makes sense just because of this use case to try using Netbox for IP address management and then integrate it with DNS. So I, it's still not done, but like I have been exploring a bunch of options of like, how do I really want to do that? It's, I think it's actually quite interesting topic. And if anyone from our audience have an experience on that, I would love to hear about that because this is something that is still bothering me. I'm not 100% sure I like what I have in mind, but I, I will describe it in a second here. So, yeah, hello. This network automation is a part of cyber security because I'm not that expert in this field, but how does it work? Like, does it take part in the field of cyber security because I'm going to learn about it and stuff as a degree in college, you know? All right. Uh, thank you for, for your question, Pika. John, please help out our potentially future colleague. I know that you, you completed the, well, yeah. wasn't it in the degree in security, right? 
Yeah, so, yeah. hey, Pika, thanks for the question. Oh, thanks for the question. So I actually recently did a degree in networking and cybersecurity. Now, there wasn't a big focus on automation. That was more of my kind of own path, which I did kind of outside of my kind of hobbies. But for sure, anything you do with IT, you've got to be effectively doing it securely. Now, it doesn't really touch upon the classical cybersecurity topics. If you're really going into cybersecurity, you'll be looking at more things like, say, penetration testing, doing certifications like OSCP and stuff like that. Or perhaps maybe going down the forensic route and doing SANS. But like I say, anything you do within computing, whether it's dealing with software or dealing with networks, you always have to take security into mind. It's not absolutely analogous to cybersecurity stuff. I associate that, at least in my head, with more things like pen testing and stuff. But ultimately, it's just about managing networks and using programming concepts to program your network to automate it effectively. That's really the concept behind it. But in terms of doing a degree, my degree was a kind of blend of networks and uh, cybersecurity, so I kind of get a bit of both. And there is a lot of crossover because when you're dealing with uh, networks, like I say, that the crossover is just undeniable. You you have to understand if you're dealing with networks, you're going to have to understand what cryptography is, at least to some level, what it is and why you use it and stuff. It's the same type of thing. Like common things will crossover, whereas network automation is a little bit more of a niche subject of a particular topic, like networking, and then you go into a particular form of networking. In your degree, if you happen to do this, you probably, well, you maybe might get a little bit of a taste of network automation, but typically you're probably going to be going through general Cisco paths, maybe take you through the kind of CCNA, CCMP type route, and you might get a blend of like typical pen test stuff and forensic stuff the way I did, but not too much of a crossover directly between automation, network automation, and cybersecurity, I would say. Thank you, John. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you for your question. Thanks for, the, thanks for the question, man. Uh, okay, Ryan has a question for us. Hey, Ryan. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hey. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good, good, man. How are you? Yeah, not so bad. Um, so, yeah, my question is really around sort of, um, I now understand like the basics, like I said in my sort of question in the, um, the Hangout discussion. So, I'm sort of at that point now where I'm wanting to take on or, or sort of start doing bigger projects. But I'm, I'm sort of at the point where I want to sort of leap into the more advanced stuff. But I'm still thinking, I'm still not understanding everything fully. Um, so I was wondering if you could give any sort of tips into how to get into the more advanced, like um, automation, and sort of more sort of like the into orchestration. Because like we've got we've got MPLS, um, which we've got multiple customers on, and we're looking to orchestrate that as you know and automate the whole system. Um, but it's really how do I start? You know, where's where's my starting block, and where's sort of, you know, knowing <laughs> knowing where that sort of start and end point is is where I'm struggling. All right, thank you for your question, Ryan. John, would you like to take that? So it's kind of hard to judge where the next step is because everyone has their own progression. I mean, I don't I don't know exactly whereabouts on the scale you are, like how long you've been doing it. It's kind of hard to to have an absolute set plan. I find the best way to do things is really to lab a lot like if you're just trying to learn labbing is such a great way to learn having a good network of people to talk to like i was lucky i get to speak to people like carol quite a lot and dimitri and because of them i kind of had a, a bit of a roadmap about where i should be trying to go next like dimitri's youtube channel has been like really helpful to me yeah. even though it doesn't upload anymore because he's super lazy and stuff <laughs> but, <laughs> but he was always recording things and i didn't know what it was but he was doing but it gave me something to kind of peg and go oh i should look at that so I would constantly be Googling and it wouldn't make sense. And then I'd Google maybe a few weeks later and make a bit more sense. It's the same type of skill. There's nothing too niche about network automation. 
it's any type of skill. There's going to be a whole lot of stuff that you can't know because there's too much of it. You're going to have to sort through kind of what you like and then just gradually be wrong for a bit and then be less wrong until you're actually quite okay with it. And then at some point you get quite comfortable with it. So that's the, that's kind of the key. There's nothing super magical about it. Yep. The obvious topics to get is be familiar with Python, understand concepts like netconf and yang and restconf and stuff because these are all very popular not so widely used and stuff but they're getting there so i would say whereabouts would you say ryan what are you comfortable with yourself? so um, kind of i'm i actually took the the devnet associate exam i failed it by like i think it was 20 marks or 20 points um mm -hmm. so i'm looking to retake that probably early next year now um just because mm -hmm. of other project work coming on um so in terms of i feel quite confident with with sort of the uh, sort of with python i mean i can do like api calls i've i've written sort of my own scripts now already very basic scripts but you know trying to I've, i'm using nornir so i followed your your course to sort of learn nornir um so i'm looking to like try and improve what i've already made already and, and move that into nornir because it's a hell of a lot quicker what do i call it it's a compliance script so it look it uses cisco conf pass to pass in the like the show run and then i'm just doing compare between what's currently in in our live versus like a master template so stuff like that i've i've started with and started understanding um i just feel like i need i need to get to that next step but i just don't quite know how to really plan that next step if that makes sense uh ryan i have a question yeah, for you could you please tell me what do you think is when you say more advanced stuff what does it mean for you and what kind of goal do you have in mind um yeah okay so that's, that's probably me being quite vague um in the sense of just understanding more about like like you say nang uh, uh, yang sorry um net conf i've not done a lot of net conf it's mainly sort of just using netmiko I haven't really used napalm i think i maybe just need to go back through and start learning those as well and getting more of a grounding and then start moving up but i don't know um like i say advanced in the sense of um, writing better code and using more uh like tools and stuff to actually make my scripts better i guess at this stage okay so here's what i would suggest kind of like a pass from like basic so from a person who knows basic Python to a little bit more advanced network automation, I would say I would start with something small and, but you already kind of cover it. So stuff like Scrapply, for example, so to be able to send some commands and receive some response and send some configuration and, and, and get, uh, yeah, do some configuration with that. So then like move to something like Nornir where you can use what you learn with Scrapply and then kind of apply it on multiple devices at the same time. Then I would say something like, well, netconf, restconf, yang, I think it's decent if you, the networks that you have supports that. So like if you have devices that support that, then it's definitely worth time investment. And when I say, when I mention this kind of things, honestly, I would just start going to their documentation and just trying to make it work. The, the worst mistake that can be done on this journey is like being paralyzed and like not do anything. As long as you do something, incremental steps that will allow you to progress. So mm. just trying to make something work, it's, it's quite important. And usually this is like, if you have ever seen some of my streams, this is what I usually do. It's like, you know, I know some topics, but like, I don't know anything. So I take some topic. I have no idea how it works 
and then like I open documentation and just try to make it work and then change some things to what I have in mind. So yeah, it's th that's my approach. And then going back to the list of things that I that I said, so it would be like Scraply, Nornier, and then anything that is like NetCon, RESTCon, Yank related. So it would be like Scraply, NetConf, PyYank, tools like that. Another interesting tool, if you are into configuration management, would be Scraply CFG, which allows you to replace configurations on the device. And then if you have covered kind of like all these typical network network related things, then you could move more into like, okay, I am able to write some of the things and some of this logic that I have in mind, which like either does some compliance or does some configuration. The next kind of thing that I usually think about is, okay, I have built it, but now how can I expose this kind of functionality to others? especially to those who have no idea what Python is or like don't want to deal with it and like install it because all of that is kind of painful. And usually when you're looking into that, it will logical thinking will result is like, okay, I want to expose this kind of functionality via web. So I would want to build some kind of web page or something, some kind of dashboard, I don't know, and make it work. And the way you kind of do that is also very similarly like to what I covered, like you would just start with some kind of web framework, user tutorials, and then try to now change whatever they have to the logics that you had for the network devices. And then once you have that, then you can think even further, it's like, okay, I have this, this functionality is exposed. Now there are like multiple directions that this can go. It's like, okay, maybe you want like where to host it. So like there are myriad of options. It could be cloud, it could be on-prem. You could also think about, okay, how do I actually make my code better so other people can maintain it better? And then you would start thinking about, okay, I need to actually improve my Python skills and like maybe read some more advanced book or like read more about architecture of software applications and stuff like that. So, but that piece though, it does, it does take years. I would say that's not something that is kind of like, oh, I will just spend one month and I'm just much better yeah. developer. So does this, does this help or like, or yeah, I think, so much? I, think, I think the issue is like, there, there's a lot of basic um, courses and stuff out there. There's no sort of intermediate level, but I guess that's because you should already know that at that point. But I feel I understand the basics. I just feel like the leap from sort of basic to advanced or intermediate is quite a big leap, if that makes sense. I would say that the, the course that John has, I found, find it pretty good. And I wouldn't say that it's like super beginner. It's like you need to understand some Python stuff and it covers a lot of these libraries that I talked about. Uh, John, I don't know, do you cover also any kind of web development there or, or not so much there? All I've done is a really simple scale on Flask, which is like Flask integration with Nornia, but it was really quite straightforward. It was just how to plug it in and use a web page to pull like your show interfaces, get your inventory displayed on the web page, all that type of stuff. So it wasn't like 
hardcore web development were using javascript or anything like that but it was just a, a basic conceptual thing but most of the things that are typically used i do try to cover them in my course like i say scratly's covered pytest pyats testing netconf restconf gnmi there's a lot of things which are covered in that so i do think a lot of those more advanced topics i try to take time and be careful that it was incremental whereby the very early skills it's pretty much here's how to send a show command to two devices at the same time using Nornir. <laughs> and then by the end of it, it's more like, okay, here's how to actually automate MPLS layer three VPNs via netconf. So it does graduate slowly. Cause I, I did find that myself whereby I found that a lot of the courses were a little bit super entry level, whereby you're just automating over telnet or maybe just netmiko and just doing a simple show command. And that would be cool. That's a great introduction, but then there wasn't really much to go on after that. People would kind of stop there. I tried to be a little bit more gradual in what I was doing, but like I say, it's such a hard field to cover because it's almost like there's too much of everything. It's, it's like, it, there's a lot to Yeah, it's, so, it is I mean, quite overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, I, I find that myself, but what Dimitri was saying, I thought his advice was really spot on. And like no, yeah. I say, the workflow he goes through with his um, YouTube streams, the way he actually works through problems, I learned how to work through that by watching his streams, and it's kind of the way that I kind of follow it. Like, very often, I'll pick up a topic, have no idea how it works, and I'm just going to commit to labbing it and know that I'm going to feel like a total donut and not know what I'm doing <laughs> and make mistakes and be totally confused. For the longest time, I had no idea how Yang worked, and I found that a lot of the online documentation was pretty garbage, to put it lightly. And it took me ages to work out why my scripts suddenly were randomly not working. And then I realized I had to go and dig out the RFC and find out things like you can't do an operation of place on a leaf list object. Like that wasn't so obvious because the materials weren't there. A lot of it is just labbing, labbing, labbing and finding out why this one weird use case you're doing is not working. And then you've got like something to Google. It's a little bit unfortunate yeah. you had to do that, but I've found that's kind of the way I've had to, to learn a lot of this stuff. Hey, yeah, Darren. That's cool. Uh, Darren is showing us you had something to add on this topic. No, yeah, I, I was just going to say. I mean, hi guys. Um, from my perspective, what the way I always always think about this is that there's loads of different techniques for doing to to do those automation tasks. I mean, you guys are talking about all these tools. I've used a fraction of them, right? But it's it's almost like you need a a, a method a methodology for designing automation process orchestration process and knowing which of these things to assemble to do the stuff you need to do does that make sense so it's, so it's like you've got an you've got an, uh, an operational process that you you need to automate well it's not just you know do one thing a hundred times it, there's a whole element of understanding where data's got to come from what data you've got to put together um and and combining different techniques to bring out a, an actual result and i guess ryan from from what i can hear from what you're talking about you've you're mastering these these techniques for these these tasks as they come up and as you study them but it's then a case of how you put them all together to achieve Correct. an end goal right yeah. and and yeah. And that just feels like it feels like a design process. It feels like it's it's taking the whole thing to the next level and saying, I need to understand, you know, how to orchestrate mm. all of these things to make stuff happen. Yeah. Um, it's almost like the logic, like you say, where you go exactly from, how, you know, okay, how do I do that? Okay, that is a step of ABC, you know, but sometimes when you're writing code, you don't always see that as ABC. It's, it's almost, it just, all sort of molds into one if, yeah. that, if that makes sense yeah 
to- totally. I mean, from yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I spend a lot of time um, working with with APIs, right? Just just dragging data from different places and putting it together, building very shonky uh, basic scripts to just demonstrate stuff. But it, but ultimately, it's about looking at what I'm trying to demonstrate and working backwards, uh, trying to understand right. Okay, if I need to to, to achieve this end state in this actual thing. So rather than think about, I'm going to use this technique, I'm going to use that technique, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm looking at that outcome. Oh God, this sounds really, I mean, it does sound a bit rough because because I'm talking about outcomes, but but I'm looking at what that end state is and working backwards, I suppose, and, and understanding, right, the data that I've got to gather to do that thing has to come from here. Well, how do I go about getting it from here? Well, in this case, you know, on this platform, I might need uh, to, to use some GNMI data from here i might need to, to to do some some net conf to get some pull, pull some stuff through combine it together and write that to this api in order to achieve that outcome and it's it's this is what it feels like to me it's almost like a design process for the yeah i, yeah. I agree with you darren and i found myself at my work i mostly focus on network automation at my work and people usually come to me with very kind of generic problem is like for example, you have these data centers or gear, and it's like, oh, we had some pieces of automation here and there, but there is no no uniformity. Can you like take a look at it? And usually I took several months really to interview people of like, okay, how do they interact with all of this gear? What are the processes? Uh, and like trying to define where the data is coming from and what ideally what we, want to achieve in the end but also i realized that something like this it's not really something that there is a course for it if that makes sense it's a lot of the stuff comes from like experience in trying building different things and this is the first thing and then second thing just trying to focus on okay what do you actually want to achieve so instead of because i also had uh, sometimes situations where people were like oh could you please automate this kind of like, I don't know, ICL creation or something like this? I want you to push these commands. And I'm, I usually push back and it's like, but why do you want to do this? And they're like, oh, because we have this process in place and something like that. So instead of solving that particular problem or let's say pushing some commands, I'm like, okay, let's actually see where the true input of that is. Maybe we can actually build some kind of self-serve portal for that kind of change. So people can go to a portal and click something and then the change will be auto-propagated through our infrastructure. But as I mentioned, I would like to iterate that this is not something that kind of like, oh, six months ago I started learning Python and now I can just decouple this huge problem of processes into these small pieces. I think it just comes with doing more and practicing more. What do you think, John, Ryan? Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think a lot of the issue here is just an experience thing, and I suffer from it as well. This is not totally analogous to what you're saying, Ryan, but recently I was speaking to Carol and I was saying, like, I mean, Carol got really good at Python. And I was saying, how? Because I was looking at Scrapply. And if you actually go to the Scrapply GitHub, people listening, go to it and just go through all the different parts of it. So many layers of abstraction on this. And I said to him, I said, how did you even plan all this in your head? It seems to me like I couldn't conceptualize how you got from having nothing on the page effectively to all these things all talking to each other. Mm. And 
his answer was just it really was he was just doing it all the time and getting experience it's not something he could just tell me or you always do a b c d and give me a linear solution to this problem so much of what he was kind of describing it was just like you know i've just been i've been immersed in it for so long it's almost like the experience they can kind of sense what you need to do next with a lot of this stuff it's not something you can just codify and have simple steps here's the next thing to do it's, it really is about getting in the trenches being wrong trying to be better and keep improving and just exposing yourself and exposing yourself to what you're trying to do effectively yeah so perseverance really 100 <laughs> percent. yeah yeah Darren, do you have yeah, any hey, additional so, thoughts on that? No, I think I think you've you've said it really. I think I think the main thing in my head is that that it's about it's about practice. The same as same as designing networks. It's right. It's about just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep trying things. I guess to have some kind of operational sensibility, the the, the idea of saying, well, what what's a useful thing to be able to do. What sort of things do people want to do? You know, what 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 would be beneficial um, is is always going to help, right? Yeah, agreed. Right, Ryan, do you have any other uh, questions? Uh, that's great. No, that's it. Thank you. Right. Good luck on your journey. Yes. Da Thanks, Ryan. Darren, since you join us, mm. do do you have any anything interesting to share with us? <laughs> um, not particularly at the moment. I've been I've been. Um, <laughs> My main thing this week has been uh, has, has been writing presentations and and, and documents. But uh, one thing I've noticed and been tracking is is John Capabianco's stuff that he's doing with Merlin. I don't know if uh, if you guys have seen some of this, but what what he's doing is kind of a, kind of reaching out beyond just pure um, what we think of network automation, looking at ways of using network data in different ways. Um, to give really a whole new perspective on on how we manage our, our, our networks, I suppose, and how we how we monitor them. Have you have you seen any of this stuff at the moment that he's doing with with this Blender three um, D stuff that he's doing? Have you seen this? I've not saw the latest thing. John was on last last week telling us about his project. And he's pretty cool, but I've not I've his, not saw the latest stuff. I he trying to keep up with them is is almost impossible. I've I'm, I've got a constant conversation going with him in the background just about stuff, and he's he's basically what he's doing at the moment is and and I notice actually he's he's actually in the audience although he's he's probably busy coding as we speak so it's just very easy sound. But he's is I might actually just let John describe what he's doing because it's very cool stuff. What is the use case for this? Can I ask? Oh, we have we well, have John Kabibianka joining, yeah, so like so here we go. Wind him up and let him go. Go, John. Yeah, so I, I thank you so much, Darren, and thanks guys again for inviting me. Uh, you guys are real, you know, heavyweights, and I, I really look up to all of you as as mentors. And um, so what I'm doing, uh, John, there's no um, use case. <laughs> it, it's fun. I found this. So so let me take a step back. I found this tool called Blender. And and for people who know about 3D animation or the world of that kind of, um, you know, animating or de graphic design, they know about this tool. It's been around for about a decade now. But I've never used it or heard of it. But what you can do is is take Python, and in my case, say, input-output rates is what I'm taking in from a network. So a simple PyTS learn interface and it gives me the input-output rates as JSON. And then I feed that into Blender, and what I've made is a full 3D animated cylinder bar graph. 
So when input jumps from 10 packets to 100 packets, the cylinder climbs to 100 units. And it actually looks like a 3D stereo graphic of your input-output rate. Um, I've done 3D text where the text is read in from the JSON as well. So you could have something like, I don't know, IP interface brief and have all that data displayed in a three-dimensional world. And it gives you camera and lightings and colors. It is really neat stuff. I, I have put some, I'm about four or five days in, and I have some YouTube videos up about this. But talk about a way to present. Darren and I were talking about mm. adding a third dimension, like, a, you know, a flat solar winds graph. People say, well, you know, you're, we already have this in a hundred different tools, interface, you know, graphs. But adding the third dimension and being able to move around and see the the cylinders in 3D, there's something unique about it. It's, it's not just that, is it? I mean, for, for me, the thing that I like about what you're doing, John, and we've talked about this before, but it's it's the fact that you're you're pushing the envelope by doing things that are a bit different to give people new ideas, right? And um, by representing the data as a as effectively a 3D world. You know, we talked about, you know, using VR to be actually sort of sat in this and be able to walk through it and, and be able to interact with it in a, in, a, in a sort of different way. I mean, this is the point. It's, John, you say, say about the, the, the use case for this. You're, a lot of John's absolutely right. There isn't as concrete use case for being able to do this, but it's about looking at different different um just taking the opportunity to look at things in different ways to actually think how could we use this how could we do stuff in in some ways it's a bit like what we were just talking about in in learning the different techniques for for um, automating tasks you're piecing together the tasks themselves for automation but you're also then looking at how you use the data operationally bringing all of that together to build new processes and new ways of doing stuff and I think this is why I like following your stuff, um, John C. It, it's, it's because it sparks ideas all the time. There's always something new to think about and always, you know, different possibilities being brought up. I, I appreciate that. That's, that's sort of the idea behind it. I don't, you know, I'm not looking for some commercial use necessarily, but if you want to learn Python or if you have children that you want to get involved in programming, like imagine being able to build your own 3D world of your own shapes and sizes and colors and lighting. And and now we're feeding it anything you want from the network, right? It's JSON. It could be BGP, OSPF, routes, counters, whatever you want. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So so I appreciate that, Darren. And, and, and um, I also think like I'm a novice in both. <laughs> I, I'm not the best in Python and I'm really definitely just learning Blender. And in a few hours, in a few clicks, I have this functional 3D little application. So I'm really excited about where this could go and plugging in with, you know, better Python developers and better Blender animators. Um, it'll all be open source. It'll all be up on GitHub soon. John Capabianco, I, I think we actually need to, uh, you need to select some kind of nickname since you are joining our show so often <laughs> so that, you know, I, we can call, call you and distinguish you among you and another John. So I have an extra question for you. Do you have any end goal in mind for Merlin Project? Like, how do you see it? Let's say, I don't know, a couple of years from yeah, now. Yeah, that's a good question. So 
I'd love to see Merlin as just another utility that network people refer to and say, you know, I need a CSV file from some network state. Oh, just, you know, grab Merlin and run it. It'll do that for you. Or, um, you know, I, I'd like to see it as part of that fabric of, uh, I'm not as ambitious as maybe, a, say, Scrapply or NetMiko or a name brand thing, but I think that would be neat. That would be, I, I would feel very accomplished if it became part of that, um, stratosphere of network automation tools and utilities as far as the 3d world goes i think it'd be neat to make kind of like a first person not shooter but you know like a um they used to have games on rails right where it's sort of like you're like on a rail car and it just tours you around this 3d world i think that'd be neat to say here's the nexus 9k in the sandbox and a three minute four minute video in a three-dimensional world showing you know vrfs and vlans and ips and input output rates something like that i don't know sounds well, interesting being able to visualize it and touch it and and be in it and and it, it just is it's, for me it's just bringing up different ways of approaching stuff that we've been doing so long um you know we're just starting to realize the the possibilities that extend beyond you know just simple cli right well, it's, I, I, I've got to say, when you have an input-output rate and it jumps from 100 to 25,000, you know, on a flat screen, that it's hard to distinguish. It's just another line. It's just another set of pixels. But in a 3D world, you go, wow, that cylinder is 10 times as big as it was a second ago. It, it's, it's, it's self-explanatory, right? Which, <laughs> and the thing is, when you line it up against, say, 48 other interfaces in, in all... In a 3D bar graph, you have to use your imagination a little bit, but you can rotate the camera and see the peaks and the valleys and say, well, why does this interface have so much more traffic than that interface? Or, um, it, you know, uh, there's all kinds of possibilities here, yeah. It got me thinking about potential other use cases of, let's say, 3D modeling or VR in networking. And something that came to my mind, and I'm not sure how relevant that is, but potentially like models of the different vendor products that can be interacted with in let's say VR or something to be able to teach field engineers or people who actually do work on the well on the ground or in a let's say remote sites or something like that who are not necessarily familiar with the equipment so I don't know maybe something like that but I'm not 100% sure just something that came to my mind. John McGovern, do you have anything to add? Nope, everyone's good. Okay, Darren, John Kapabianka, do you guys have anything more? Not at the moment. I'm glad John could join us to describe it because it's because um, he's his um, language is a lot more colourful than mine. So uh, yeah, it's uh, like I say, it's art of the possible, right? That's we should always be thinking about what what we can do and where we can take things and what how we can use things. I think it comes back to in some ways to to what we talked talked about before. Think about you know what Ryan was saying about about what we we learn all these different techniques, but what can we do with them? Where can where can it take us to different places where we you know the different ways of approaching the things that we've always traditionally done? That's what I like about it. No, I, uh, the only thing I would add to Ryan's point is um, you know stay on that journey and and the other John really he made the the point about kind of muscle memory and just you know it's it's experience. It's like someone you watch someone play a piano from a distance. If you can't play the piano and you just wonder how can they make this beautiful music, 
well, it takes practice. It takes effort. And you start with Mary had a little lamb and then you move up to, right, Chopin in five or six years. So, yeah, it's like any other skill. Just just stay at it. And and you're doing the right thing by asking. I, I join every week to listen to these these guys talk because I get such great ideas from, from just the open discussion. So, no, thanks again for having me, Dimitri and John. And Darren, thanks again. It was great to see you. Yeah, thanks, thanks guys. Yeah, and, thanks uh, for coming. Always on. good to see you, John. Yeah, thank thank you, Darren. Thank you, John, for sharing your passion. I hope uh, our listeners will get inspired to start playing with a lot of different stuff themselves. Because it really what it is about is this: not be afraid of trying new things out. Thing will get you very far in this journey. All right, I think we will be wrapping up here. So. John McGovern, do you have any final wisdom for today? Um, no final wisdom. I just want to thank everyone. We got a good bit of audience participation today. That was really good. That's my favorite when I actually get people calling in and sharing their thoughts on that. That's way better than just us sitting here bloviating and talking to ourselves all the time. So shout out to everyone that actually contributed. I'd like to see more of that. Um, that's really the final thought. Yeah, otherwise it's really hard to stand John McGowan for 60 minutes. So thank you so much, folks. <laughs> <laughs> for joining <laughs> and making sure I will not go insane otherwise really hard yep, yep, uh, yep. I, and I think it from my charitable. <laughs> and I think from my side I actually don't have any wisdom except of the fact that I'm really looking forward to netbox 3.0 and the second there will be beta I will be jumping on that so folks thank you so much for joining us today this has been network automation hangout bi-weekly audio discussion about network automation. Thank you so much again for joining and I will see you next time. Goodbye.